You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Have you ever um, watched the TV show or, or seen it like Name That Tune? Where you hear a little piece of music and you have to identify it as, we're not going to play that, I'm sorry. Um, some of you are going to be disappointed. However, I do want to play a little game I've entitled Name That Event. Okay, so I'm going to read, I'm going to read a description of an of a actual historical event. And let's see if you can actually determine what you think it is or what, what event this signif- or that represents. <clears throat> there was little cheering and no waving of flags, <clears throat> only the great hush of respect for the dead. First came a row of motorcycle police, then the mounted officers, then the major general and his staff, then a great army band, the solemn strains of a funeral dirge its cadences marked by the thud of muffled drums. Next moved the first of the soldier and sailor escort, a platoon of infantry with fixed bayonets gleaming. They moved in the square block formation, and behind these, in the same solid blocks, came the sailors. Then came the clergy. Immediately behind them rolled the flag-draped coffin with the honorary pallbearers, all admirals and generals. Anybody guess? I'm sorry? Kennedy? No. Lincoln? No. No. Okay, let me keep reading. Immediately following the body walked the president and the general of the armies side by side with their aides at a short distance. The Supreme Court followed. Then came the cabinet marching in two lines. Governors of some states followed. And then came members of the Senate marching in columns of eight. The House of Representatives came next. Holders of the Medal of Honor marched eight abreast. Then came 132 representatives of all who served in the war, coming not more than three from a state. War veteran societies followed. Nettie, what, what is it? It's the, it's the march from the Capitol to Arlington Cemetery of the Unknown Soldier in 19, November 11th, 1921. Can you imagine this occurring today? Uh, for anybody. I mean, you've got all, I mean, just all the buddy up front, then the, but the president and the, basically the head of all the, all the military, the chief of staff of all the military, and then you've got all this, the, the Supreme Court, the Senate, the House, all those people for someone they didn't even know. Imagine that. Someone they didn't even know. Here's the thing that's ironic. Do you know how this all came about? The story, this, this, as I started, uh, as I was kind of working through this and I started doing some digging, it's fascinating how this all happened and just the story behind all this. It actually uh, started probably back uh, during World War I. So I think it was like 1916, 1917. A British army chaplain who was on the Western Front, he saw a grave marked by a, a handmade cross with a, with a pencil inscription, a pencil written inscription, an unknown British soldier. And he saw that and uh, he said, ah, that's not, we, we got to do something to recognize these soldiers whose faithfulness caused them to give their lives for the benefit of the rest of us. 
So he goes back and he starts, you know, connecting with people and making phone calls. Actually, he wasn't making phone calls back then. Sending letters, <laughs> meeting with people, um, texting. No, he wasn't texting. Um, and then so basically, so it took a number of years for this to work it through. But then on Armistice Day, so November 11th, 1920, um, Britain instituted this. They had their own ceremony where they had the, 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 their recognition of the memorial of an unknown soldier. And then one year later is what we see here in the U.S. in 1921. Same day, November 11th, 1921, we see this happening here. Today, most countries in the world uh, have a memorial honoring those who were faithful even unto death. Now, imagine if you're a soldier in a foreign land and you're severely wounded and you know you're not going to survive and you're wondering... Who even knows I'm here? How is, what, who's, how is my family going to find out? How will they know what happened to me? And you realize there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to help ease that with your family. Or, or think of if you are the family. And this happens quite often. Or used to happen more often. Your husband, your son, your brother, uncle went off to war. And then years go by. The war is over. And you still don't see them no news. The best you can say is they never came back from the war. You don't know what happened to them. You don't know whatever became of them. That's the irony with faithfulness. Much of the time, no one knows. Much of the time, no one knows. In fact, the test of character is this. What do you do when no one's watching? How do you behave when, it's, it's one thing to behave when people are watching, but how do you behave when no one's watching is actually a test of your character. No one knows. So then to be faithful is to do something simply because it's the right thing to do. I think it's the same way in the kingdom of God too. So I think that, I believe that the call to follow Jesus is a call to faithfulness. I'm convinced that the Christian faith exists today not because of the great heroes that we see in the Bible, like Paul. And it's not even because of the great heroes we've seen throughout history, like Billy Graham and others. It's not the named people. I think the, the kingdom, of, the Christian faith today exists and is, it has survived over the centuries because millions of nameless men and women committed their lives to being faithful to the calling of Jesus Christ. People who aren't recorded in any historical account but who lived their lives and they raised their children in a way that faithfully honored God. Today we're going to take a look at just such a person. His name is Epaphroditus. Great name. Now we remember Epaphroditus not because he did anything great. In fact, his name appears only three times in all of the Bible. And it's only in one book of the Bible. And we know Epaphroditus because Paul mentions him in his letter to the Philippians. If you recall from last week, we were looking at uh, two, two weeks that we're looking at the Philippians. And Philippians is a letter that was written by Paul to a group of people that he really loved deeply. He was in prison. Um, there's some question as to whether or not he, he was, this is what, he was in prison more than once. So there's a question as to whether his, his initial imprisonment or his last imprisonment. But he's, he's about 800 miles away from those people he wrote. So if he's in Rome, 
Um, Philippi, the city of Philippi, which is in Greece, is about 800 miles away. If you drew a straight line, um, you know, so it took longer. He's going to have a couple days on sea to get across there. So it's, it's quite a distance away. But Paul loved this group. The letter is one of encouragement. He's not criticizing or trying to chastise them or, or correct them. He's, he's encouraging them, saying, come on, you can, you can do this. And, and last week, we, looked, we talked about the fact that in Paul's part of his letter, he's saying, don't seek positions. As you live together, as you work together, as you share life together, it's not about titles. It's not about honors. It's not about who gets the most or who gets the most recognition. It's about being humble towards one another. Submit yourself to others. And Look at Christ as our example, who was the son of God, yet considered that nothing and came to earth to die for us. So that's what we looked at last week. A little bit later on in that same letter, in chapter two, Paul is saying to them, he's saying, listen, I really wish, I want to come to you and I'll come to you soon. I'm hoping that I get out of here and I want to come. And and I I know I'm going to send Timothy. Timothy also was with him. And it says, I want to send Timothy there. Um, and so hopefully we'll both be there soon. But then he says, uh, he, says um, he gets to this part about Epaphroditus. And so it's in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 25. He's already said, I, I want to come. I'm going to send Timothy to you. <clears throat> but then he says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because, he heard you, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we look at this life of Epaphroditus, there's really not much here. But Lord, as we explore this idea of faithfulness, I ask, Lord, that you would Help us to understand a little bit more about what that means in our own lives as we live life together and share life as Christ followers, what that looks like for us. Uh, so Lord, guide our, uh, Lord, my conversation here in the next few minutes, I pray. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts what you would want us to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we know about Epaphroditus? <clears throat> Only what we just read. Not a whole lot. So in verse 25, it says, he was, we know that he was sent by the group in Philippi. We know that because in Paul's reference to him, he says, you sent him here to me to take care of my needs. Now, we are given no clue what that means. <clears throat> we don't know if these were physical needs. Was Epaphroditus like a, a nurse or a caregiver? Someone who's there to help serve him and take care of him and make sure that his physical needs are met. We don't know that. Maybe it was financial. Even though Paul was in prison, it's not like today when you're in prison, like everything's provided for you. Back in the day, not everything was. Um, Even, you know, in other parts of the world, I know in a lot of parts of the world, even today, if you're in the hospital, you don't get meals. Your family brings meals to you. 
as, you know, even though you're under their care. So this idea of him, so the idea that he would need financial help was one that would be reasonable to think. And even later on in the chapter, he does refer to Paphroditus one more time. He says, Paul saying in this letter, he says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So the idea that this could have been a financial gift was something that, that could have been received, and that's what he was done. So we know that he was, we know that, Paul, that Epaphroditus was sent by the group in Philippi to help Paul in one way or, or, or another. We also know that he had an illness, that he almost died, in fact, Paul says. We're not told what the illness was. We're not told when he got it or how long it lasted. There's nothing about the illness that we're given at all. We also know nothing about Epaphroditus, the length of stay that he was with Paul. Verse 29 says, welcome him. You know, as he's coming back, welcome him. It says, welcome and honor men like him which really kind of seems like an odd thing to say. I mean, if this was a guy everyone loved, I think the idea of welcoming him would seem to be a necessary statement. So the fact that actually Paul is actually saying welcome him, most, as we've researched this, would believe that, that there was a perception, possible perceptions, two theories actually that are out there. One is that Epaphroditus, if, if Paul is going to send him back, the perception would be that he, his stay with Paul was too short. In other words, we sent you 800 miles away to deliver this gift, to stay with Paul for an extended period of time, to care for Paul. Why are you back so soon? So in order to, con- to, to deal with that type of a response, Paul said, listen, welcome him. What he's done is good. Men like him, you need to honor. So he sets the table straight there. The other thought might be he stayed too long. He went there and, well, think about this. If you've given money to someone to give to, the, uh, to, to someone else, and then you never hear from them again? What do you think immediately? They've run off of the money. They didn't, we didn't hear anything. We didn't, our, our brain seems to think the worst. So if all this time goes by, they don't hear from anything, and then all of a sudden he shows up back in town, where's the money? What did you do? I mean, how do we, you know? So it just creates this unnecessary friction within the group. And so regardless of what it is, Paul placed great value on what Epaphroditus did too short of time, too long time, regardless of what it is, what we know from Paul's vantage point, Epaphroditus was someone worthy of honor and worthy of the appreciation from the people. In fact, Paul equates what Epaphroditus did as, as um, he equates it with the work of Christ, the work of Christ. So this wasn't just him helping me out. This actually had spiritual, even eternal implications on what happened. In fact, what we get a sense from as Paul's response is that he not only did he appreciate what Epaphroditus did, he put even more value on the why he did it. Epaphroditus put himself in position that was harmful to his well-being, and he did it on behalf of the group that was in Philippi for the benefit of Paul. So whatever the circumstances were, he, was, he put himself in that position to help others and to benefit others. Epaphroditus was selfless and he was thinking only of other people. So here's what we can say about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was effective because he was faithful. Epaphroditus was applauded by Paul because he was faithful. And we can say that Epaphroditus was used by God because he was faithful. 
Now let's open this up a little bit more, this idea of faithfulness. What can we say? What else can we say about being faithful? Well, I think one of the things we can say is that God is looking for faithfulness. As I was thinking just about this idea, what came to my mind was the Old Testament account when, when God picked Saul to be king, the very first king over Israel. And Saul is picked, and Samuel anoints him king, and, but Samuel has this word of warning to Saul. In chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, he says, Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Talking to the larger Israelites there as well. But then we see actually Saul messed up a couple of times. Samuel finally comes back to Saul and he says, You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, it wouldn't take too much time to recount the entirety of that whole story. The point I want to make is this. Saul knew better. It wasn't if Saul just kind of accidentally stumbled into something. Saul knew what was right and wrong and chose to do the wrong. He knew better. He didn't just make a mistake. He had very specific instructions from Samuel, and he knew in his heart what was the right thing to do, and yet he disobeyed. God wants people who will be faithful to him. Jesus talked about faithfulness quite often. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking, and he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with very much. God is looking for faithfulness. Another thing we can say about faithfulness is that faithfulness positions us for effectiveness. Faithfulness positions us for effectiveness. How many times have you watched on TV or an interview of someone who's just done something heroic? And the response is, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing what I was trained to do. I wasn't anything special. I'm just doing my job. Just doing my job is faithfulness. Just doing what you are trained to do is faithfulness. Going back to Saul, when God chose David to replace him, what was David doing at the time? He was out in the fields watching sheep. Not very exciting, is it? Not a really high-level position in any organization. Certainly not even a high-profile activity even in that day and age but a job that was very, very important to the survival of the family. Unfaithful, an, an unfaithful shepherd, what happens there, the sheep wander off, wild animals attack, others come in and steal sheep from the flock. Here's what I've <clears throat> observed. Some of the most significant roles in life get very little attention. I think it's like that in the church as well. And I've said many times, uh, <clears throat> I just, some of my heroes, if you will, within the church are uh, people like in our, our media booth, our tech people. A good day for them, no one knows they're here. 
Right, the only reason you know they're there is because something wasn't working. It's like, come on, get that microphone fixed, you know, or why isn't that video working? Or anonymity is a good day for them. <clears throat> Hospitality. You know, it's, um, sometimes we think of, you know, if we're just making coffee or just sitting there greeting someone, but we fail to realize what those little things do. Because you're willing to come and make coffee, you're coming early and make coffee or get something set up, you create an opportunity for others to engage in relationship. You create an opportunity for others to connect, for relationships to be built and developed, and for lives to even be changed down the road. Simply because you were willing to come and help get some things set up. I think one of the most significant ones also is, is those who work in the nursery. There's no honor, there's no public, you know, display. I mean, um, and especially for those of you who have, who've already done your raising of kids, you're cycling back to help out. I just think that's an amazing thing. It's kind of like watching sheep. <laughs> but here's the thing, here's the, here's the thing. But because people are willing to do that, a mom and a dad, or the parents, if it's both, they get an hour to be here in a worship service. And perhaps, perhaps they're going to encounter God in such a way during worship, or maybe they'll hear something that's said, or they'll encounter God in such a way that will ever change the future of that family. All because you were willing to watch their child. That's huge. That's huge. Faithfulness. We can't overstate the significance of simple faithfulness. We never know how God might use our faithfulness to achieve his purposes in other people. Um, by the way, I know Christy could use a few more help uh, with hospitality, and I know Kate could use a couple more people with, uh, with the nursery and the preschool room. So, enough said. Um, lastly, God, I think, rewards faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. Now, let me, let me uh, I know in the worship guide, I think the worship guide has this wrong in your outline. So I think the blank in the worship guide is for the wrong word. So right now, the blank says, rather than God rewards faithfulness with the emphasis on rewards, I think it's better God rewards faithfulness. The blank is on, the emphasis is on God. <clears throat> Consider Matthew chapter six. Jesus is talking, part of the Sermon on the Mount. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. A little later on in verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Even further on in verse 17, he says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. What's interesting in all of these, all three instances, immediately after that, do this in private, because your father will see it in secret. The immediately, the, the part that comes after that, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father will reward you. Now, let's be clear. <clears throat> sometimes there's not human recognition, and sometimes it may not even necessarily be the tangible reward that we might think. We're not going to receive this honorific title for serving. This idea of doing something anonymously is even captured by Paul in Colossians chapter 2. 
He's talking to, um, in his letter there to the people in Colossus, he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. In the verse we do give there in Matthew 25, well done, you good and faithful servant. The context there is the final judgment from God. It's at the end of the time where God says final judgment. So this idea of reward is not necessarily here and now. It might be when we're done. God is the one who ultimately rewards faithfulness. So what then do we do in response to what we've been talking about here? A few action steps. One is make faithfulness a priority in your life. And you know that when it's being challenged, when you start feeling, um, you you start recognizing the fact that no one notices what you're doing. You never felt like that, like I'm doing this. And I, sometimes, sometimes we even feel like we're being taken advantage of. And we find ourselves, our, our heart and our mind starting to slip. That's, that's the signal. Now, it is incredibly appropriate for you to have conversations with people if you do feel like you're being taken advantage of. But again, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this in the first place? Am I doing this because... Of, of, the, of the dynamics here that's in, in this situation or am I doing this as a service to the Lord? Second thing we should do is applaud faithfulness in the lives of others. While we shouldn't seek recognition for ourselves, it is always, always appropriate to recognize it in others. To say, thank you for what you do. What you do matters. It's always a- appropriate to recognize and appreciate faithfulness in other people. Thirdly, know that no assignment is insignificant in God's eyes. There is no insignificant assignment in God's eyes. It all matters. And I've actually added one more. I've actually had a very tangible, uh, another action step as a bullet point here. Do one thing this week for someone else anonymously. Do one thing this week for someone anonymously. Just see what that does in your own heart and life. And, and you may not, and if you do it anonymously, you may never get recognition for that. Just see what happens. Is that okay? You know, um, the, we were talking about the, the tomb of the unknown soldier, that the whole, the, the funeral uh, procession. The inscription on the memorial says this. It says, here rests in in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. We don't know who's here, but God does. The question we have to ask ourselves, is that enough? Is that enough for me to know that God knows what's happening. Imagine what would happen if we lived as if faithfulness to God was the highest virtue. 
How might our lives be different? How might our relationships be different? How might our families be different? And how might even our communities be different if faithfulness was the main of our primary virtue? Um, I really wrestled with how to end this sermon. I literally, I got up at like six this morning to rework some things and I did it and I'm here, but I just, it still wasn't settled in my mind. And while we were worshiping, um, um, Ron brought up, someone had written out some words, what they felt the Lord had given them. Let me just read them to you and see if this doesn't fit with where we're at today. The lighting's different here. Okay. With my iPad, uh, it's all backlit. So this is, okay. So I saw many in the church sitting on what looked like a treasure chest. I asked the Lord what this meant. And he revealed to me that many have been given gifts that were meant to be released and shared to be a blessing to others. But because of fear or unbelief or ignorance, these gifts have remained locked up. The Lord is saying it is time for my people to stand up and release the gifts that I have given them so that my church can be blessed, encouraged, and strengthened to do the works I have called them to do. It is time to walk in your true destiny, to go from surviving to thriving. It is no longer a time to dwell on what God can do for you, but what he can do through you. Walk in your God-ordained destiny so that on that day you will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I am so very grateful for what you're doing in our lives and in the lives of this community, this body, or this, this fellowship. Lord, we recognize that we're part of something bigger. And not, I'm not just referring to the organization of Grace Covenant. We're part, of, we're part of your global church. We're part of your kingdom here on earth. We're part of what you're doing on this earth. And Lord, what an amazing, amazing thing to know that you've called each of us. Each of us have been called by you for your purposes. And while some of us may have prominent roles, and Lord, some of us may have in uh, less prominent roles, There is no such thing as an insignificant role. So Lord, whatever we've been called to do, may we do it with our whole heart. May we do that as a faithful sacrifice to you. Not wanting the recognition or the appreciation from others, but Lord, finding complete satisfaction and knowing that we are being pleasing to you. And Father, may that heart, may our ability to live life like that May you use that, Lord God, to reach others, whether they're co-workers, their neighbors, even family members. God, may we be a light to others that they would come to know you as well, simply because we were faithful to do the simple things you've called us to do. As in Jesus' name I pray, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.